as we continue our series, as we've been looking at true wisdom, we have been spending our time looking at the writings of Ecclesiastes. And uh, he has told us some important things of, of how to view life. And uh, just as a reminder, the first six chapters we have spent time considering that life uh, is not better on the other side of the fence. And so often we look and think that the grass is greener on the other side. And, and if we just had this certain thing, uh, then life would be so much better. And, and the, the writer of Ecclesiastes has spent uh, the majority of his time trying to show us that he has experienced all the things that we think would make us happy and has not found any lasting satisfaction or lasting fulfillment in those things. And so now we are in chapter 7, and in this section he is imparting to us wisdom for life, and I wanted to just simply call this lesson for us this morning, the strength that wisdom produces. And the reason why is because what the writer is going to describe for us are situations of life that often either destroy our lives, uh, cause a, a great amount of affliction in our lives or cause great amount uh, of depression and sadness in our lives. And he's going to describe those situations and it, is, it seems to just want to be up front with his audience and say, this is the way the world is. And if you understand that the world operates like this, you won't be so dismayed and so upset when it happens. And so you'll understand that as we go along. Uh, consider now in chapter 7, and we will begin in verse 14. Here the teacher tells us, In my feudal life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in spite of his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who lives long in spite of his evil. Uh, tell me that has not been one of the conundrums and problems of life, is that we see the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. In fact, I think we have a song farther along that has one of those verses uh, that says that very thing, that we are troubled by that. That's not the way we think the universe should operate. We think that the righteous should always have a long life, that that would always be good tidings and good things happening to them. And when the wicked, when they go off the path, then bad things would obviously happen to them. And notice the way that he words this and says, in speaking about futility, that's just not the way the world is. As much as we want the world to be that way, that's just not the way the world operates. And, and that's an important recognition, I think, on our part. How many times our faith or somebody that we know their faith gets weakened or shaken because the righteous die before their time? And yet we see the wicked all around continue on and continue on. It's a very frustrating thing. It can be a depressing thing. It brings sadness. And often can cause us to question God. Well, how can this be? Here is somebody who is doing righteousness, who is doing good, and they suffer this horrible affliction. They pass away. And here are these awful people who don't care about God. It seems like they can throw caution to the wind, and they seem to be fine. And the point that the writer here, the teacher, wants us to understand, first of all, is that righteousness doesn't equal a longer life. And as you read through chapter 7, we don't have time to read all of it, but you will see that he talks about don't be, don't be over-righteous. And the point that he's not making is, well, don't do too much good because that's worthless. That's not the point. The point that he's making is, 
Don't think that all your righteous deeds is going to make sure that you live to be 95 and you die on your own terms. It doesn't work that way. Just because you do everything that God has asked you to do from day one doesn't mean that you'll die when you want to die and that you'll never suffer and that you'll never have bad times happen. Don't think that. And often that's not what we think. That's often the way we well, I've been doing good. Bad thing happens to me, so I decide to quit doing good. And I give up on God, go my own way. If bad stuff's going to happen to me, and he's just saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bad things still happen to the righteous. If we don't know that, we haven't read the New Testament very well. All of the apostles died prematurely except for the Apostle John. All of them died for righteousness' sake. Our Lord died quite early for the sake of righteousness. Understand that the righteous are going to suffer. And he's even going to point that out at the very end of chapter 8. Notice he speaks of it again. He says there's a futility, chapter 8, verse 14. There's a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what they what get the excuse me, who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say this too is futile. I think this is just an important reminder. He says, you know what? Sometimes the righteous suffer like the wicked, and the wicked receive reward like the righteous on the earth. This too is futility. Stop placing all of your life value in this world. You're not going to find satisfaction here. Here here he draws out some obvious things that all of us have seen with our own eyes. And we've seen the wicked seem to do so well. We see the righteous do so badly. And he says, understand that's the way it is. Don't be so upset by that. Don't be so rattled by that. Don't be unnerved by that. That's the way the world goes. Understand that this isn't where we're trying to find lasting satisfaction. This isn't where we're trying to find the ultimate justice. It doesn't happen here. And so, important reminder. Because often we get into the, the schedules and the things of life. And things like this happen and we just can't understand. And I think it's interesting the teacher just says, understand the futility of this world. Understand that things are, aren't always going to go the way that we want them to go. Notice also chapter 7. And back in verse 21, a very uh, useful statement that uh, we could probably all use to put on our refrigerator door and on, over our odometers to, to keep in mind. Chapter 7, verse 21. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. That's ah, probably one of my favorites out of Ecclesiastes. That's <laughs> probably just one of my favorites out of Ecclesiastes. Friends, don't get so upset when somebody says a cross word about you. Don't get so upset when somebody says something bad about you. Now, the teacher is not condoning it. He's not saying it's okay to say something like that. But he just does a little kind of, a, well, you know, one finger to, to you, three fingers back at me kind of thing. You've done the exact same thing. Don't get so worked up when somebody says something that maligns you because you know full well that you've done the same thing. And really the point that I think he's trying to get at is you know that you've done it yourself. Now, that doesn't make it okay. But why did you do it? Usually... Thoughtless, usually accidental, didn't think it through, didn't mean it that way. No, after you said it, shouldn't have said that, that was rude, uh, that was gossip, that wasn't right. We've all done that. 
We all get in the midst of conversation. We all get in the midst of things that are going on. You say something you shouldn't say. And you didn't mean to say it like that. It wasn't like you were trying to be ugly towards somebody. Just That just didn't come out right. Or you just got caught up in the moment. Or you got into a conversation and you were frustrated anyway. And you just kind of let it fly. You didn't put the filter on the tongue like you should have. We have all done that. That's the point that he's making. Don't get so upset when you hear somebody do that to you because you know full well that you've done the same thing. And so often we uh, impugn motives on people. It's, oh, I can't believe you said that you were, you were just awful. Don't think the worst about somebody there. <laughs> you didn't mean it with malicious intent either when you did it. You didn't intend to hurt somebody when you said it. It wasn't your intention. You just said something dumb, and you shouldn't have said it. And it just kind of comes down to that. And we can be apologetic and all those kinds of things, but I think it's important for us to see what the teacher is saying is build up a little bit of resistance understanding that we're all human. I don't mean to hurt you. I probably have said things that have hurt you. Didn't mean it. Please assume I didn't mean to. (laughs) That's really what he's getting at. And the same thing for for everybody in this room and people that we know. Don't assume those evil motives. Don't assume that they were trying to destroy you. Just shake it off and go, yeah, you know, I've said something dumb like that too. Probably even about that person. (laughs) So I need to just relax and understand. Uh, That's that's not going to bother me. And so I I think that's a, a really important, really important reminder. I think we would... We would have better relationships uh, if we kept that aspect in mind. Is that it isn't always going to come out right. Didn't mean to say something cross. Didn't mean for it to, to hurt you like it did hurt you. Not ignoring the fact that it hurt you. But I didn't mean to hurt you. I just was talking. <laughs> and I didn't mean to say that. And I didn't mean for it to come out that way. And of course, remember... That, that doesn't excuse us for our actions. Jesus clearly told us that we will be held in judgment for every careless word that comes out of our mouth. So don't think, oh, well, that just opens the floodgates since we've all said bad things about each other. Let's just let it fly and say all sorts of bad things about each other. No, no, that's not what he's getting at here whatsoever. Understand we will be judged for our careless words. We need to put the filter on and think before we speak. But understand there are times when we don't think before we speak, and we should have, but we don't. When that happens, don't fly off the handle. Don't be somebody who's going to be vindictive. Just understand, let it go, and move on. So I think it's such an important lesson that he gives. And I hope you see that's what the writer is doing here. Our teacher in Ecclesiastes is just giving us these wise words that will give you strength in life. Understand. Things aren't always fair out there. The righteous die just like the wicked. Don't don't get bent out of shape about that. It's going to happen either way. Second lesson. Understand. People are going to say things. Don't get so upset about that. You do the same thing too. Do better. Try not to say those things. But don't be so shaken when those events happen. The third lesson is interesting. It comes from chapter 7 and verse 26. Here the writer, the teacher tells us, And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net, and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. 
This is humorous to me in terms of how many uh, scholars can't figure out what the writer's talking about here. Uh, because on the surface, it sounds like, you know, stay away from women and you get this go, oh, look at this. Here's the teacher, you know, going crazy here, bashing women. Stay away from women. They're a trap. You know, it's like my grandfather told me. Uh, my, my grandfather on my mother's side always said, he said, look at, look at, uh-oh. He said, look at, look at my, fa- my, my dog, Monty. He wasn't married and he's happy. That's what my grandfather always told me. <laughs> and he, then he'd end up by saying, now be like Monty. You know, don't, 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 don't get married. That's not what the wise words of the teacher is here. Is Now just stay away from women and your life will be better. I want you to consider this sounds just like what the teacher has said over in the Proverbs. This is about the seductress. This is about affairs and adultery. Over in Proverbs 23, verse 26, notice a similar picture. My son, uh, give me your heart and let your eyes observe uh, my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Uh, this is a similar language. This is not talking about just every woman. And you see that in, seven, in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, there in verse 26, when he says, the one who pleases God will escape her. We're talking about the seductress. We are talking about the adulteress. Stay away from affairs is really the picture that he's giving here. They are a trap. And you will be ensnared by them. And I think that is certainly... Certainly useful today. I think that one of the reasons why we see affairs on the rise and divorce on the rise is because there is a failure to understand that that is simply a fantasy world. The idea of the affair and even the engaging in an affair is really a fantasy world because there's no responsibilities. Nobody has to wash the dishes. Nobody has to fix the car. There's no having to uh, put the kids to bed. It's this fantasy world that has a lack of responsibility. And that's why it seems so enticing and pleasing is, oh, well, I can get away from this reality world and engage in this wonderful world where, oh, well, here's somebody who really cares about me. Here's somebody who loves me for who I am. I'll tell you what it is. It's that you don't have all the responsibilities on you. There's nobody paying the bills in this situation. There's none of the responsibility in this situation. Nobody's having to make dinner in this situation. And that's where that appeal lies. And so what happens? The divorce takes place. They go and get with this new one, the one that they've had an affair with. And you know what happens to them? Responsibility hits. And it just ain't so nice anymore. That's why a very fascinating statistic. Of those who divorce and remarry, 80% of those divorce again. And that's probably the reason why. Is because you left the first one thinking you had something better. You got married and realized... All that stuff that we were foregoing, now we have to deal with. Now we got to put the kids to bed. Now we've got to go back to work. Now we've got to have all those responsibilities and all the things of life and schedule that make a marriage so tough in the first place. The affair is a fantasy world. Avoid the seductress. And that's what the writer here is telling us, is understand. Uh, her heart is a trap or a net, and the woman is a trap. Her hands are chains. Uh, avoid this situation. You're, you're going to be trapped by this thinking that this is actually going to find some sort of fulfillment. This is the answer to what you want. 
And I would suggest to you as a way to combat this uh, seductress woman that the, the teacher describes is to spend your efforts with your spouse. All of the work and all of the effort that you put in toward the affair, put in toward the spouse. Have an affair with your spouse. And what I mean by that is spend time with them. Think about them. Go out and do all those things that you were going to do on the affair. Going to the movies, going out to dinner, doing and enjoying all those things. And you'll be amazed that you'll have a nice time and you'll fall in love again with the spouse of your youth that you had before. And well, often people say, oh, I don't have time to do that. Yes, but it's so fascinating how people have time for an affair. But they don't have time to do those things with their spouse. No, the spouse is penalized because the spouse is watching the kids while you're out gallivanting around. Knock it off. Get somebody to watch the kids and go gallivant around with your spouse. Go around and see the movies. Go do all those things that you did at the start. So forget the fantasy world. Enjoy your spouse and you will avoid the affair. And understand that the affair world is not bringing you the joy you think it's going to. It's a world that lacks responsibility. It's a world that lacks schedule. And when you actually engage in it, you'll realize, now what? <laughs> That's what uh, my father tells the great story about the Cinderella. Everybody loves Cinderella because they go off and live happily ever after, and nobody turns the next page where Cinderella's back doing the dishes and mopping the floor again. The responsibility all comes back. It just doesn't leave. And we want to leave it all behind, but you can't. It's just the real world. And it all still remains that we all still have to go back to work the next day. We all still have the responsibilities of life hanging upon us. Next teaching is in chapter 8. Let's go to chapter 8 now and we'll notice the first nine verses. This is lengthy so it won't be on the PowerPoint. So I need you to read along with me. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 1. Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command concerning an oath by God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful, and the wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity there is a right time and procedure, even though man's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle. The wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. And I have seen, all I, and all this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. This is interesting, and probably some would skip it, because these nine verses of chapter 8 are about a king and his subjects. And here's the wise counsel to the subjects, do what the king says. And I think there's really some important lessons from the principles that are laid out here that I think we can apply in two arenas. First, I think there is the realization that what he's saying is submit to the government and your life will be simpler. And remember, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul taught in, in Romans chapter 13. He taught that very same principle of obeying the governing authorities. He, does the government bear the sword in vain? Essentially, stay away. In fact, notice it as he says there in, in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do good. 
and you will have its approval. Our society needs to hear these words. <laughs> you want to not be afraid of the government? Submit to the government. Do what they say. I have grown, so this is not PC. Let me stand on the not PC box for a minute. Uh, I have grown so weary and tired of seeing the people whine on TV about, well, how they were mistreated by police officer, what have you. Let me give the caveat. Yeah, I'm sure there are some power-hungry, awful, ugly police officers and all that. But if you hadn't been breaking the law in the first place, you would have had no reason for the mistreatment. I'm just saying, if you didn't do something wrong, they wouldn't have any, had any reason to stop you, to do something to you in the first place. Keep your nose clean and the government will ignore you. That's all the teacher is saying. And that's all the Apostle Paul was saying. Wise words. If you want to avoid trouble, stay out of trouble. If you want the government to ignore you, stay away from them. Don't break the law. Do what the law teaches, and you will be fine. And that's, I think, very important. Uh, now, again, obviously, that's not true in every case. There's going to be some turkeys out there who are trying to, to, to get their own way and take advantage of people. But overall, that's the general rule. Do what the law says. You'll be fine. We want to live a good life. You want to have a happy life. Do what the government says. Submit to the government. And that's what, what the teacher says. Obey the rules of the king. Uh, it's a shame that that's been lost. Understand government has authority. We have to do what they say. You don't want to be chased down? Don't run the red light. You don't want to have trouble with the police? Don't roll through stop signs. You know, it's just kind of the simple laws of life. And that's the wisdom that he offers. The other piece of wisdom that I think is interesting that applies not only to submitting to government, is I think there's a lesson here of submitting to the employer. When he says there in verse 3, do not be terrified, go from his presence, do not delay when the matter is unpleasant, for he does whatever he pleases. I think this is an interesting statement coming from king to, to servant, and I think an application to employees, especially today. I am really, really loving society today. I just grin from ear to ear laughing when... My work tells me to do something I don't like to do. That's why they pay you. <laughs> That's what work is all about. That's the whole concept of work. I am fascinated with my generation and those younger than me who get very upset when they have to do something unpleasant at work. I'm sorry. Uh, you're paid slavery for the time. You have to do what they say if you want to get paid. That's the way it works. That's all it is. That's what it's all about. If it was about what we wanted to do, we would pay them. If we were doing what we wanted in life, we would pay them for the opportunity. That's why we pay to go to Disney. Because we want to. But I don't pay them to mop the floors. They have to pay me. It's work. And so understand, there's many things in life, friends, that we have to do that are unpleasant. I think this is just great. The teacher just states it like this. Guess what, friends? We don't get to do everything that we like in life. There are many things in life that we have to do that is simply unpleasant. It's just not fun. I don't like having to wash the car. Going to have to wash the car today because there's bugs all over it. Don't like having to pull the weeds. Don't like having to do things around the house. Hey, we don't want to do any of that stuff. We don't want to do chores. We don't want to have responsibility. But guess what? This is life. 
Life has responsibilities. We need to teach our children. You do things even if you don't like it. We're going to have a society without any services whatsoever as our kids grow up not wanting to do anything in this world because they've been given everything from mommy and daddy and they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. That's tremendous. That's what we need to teach our kids is they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. Really? Is that life? Is life about not having to do the things you don't want to do? Far be it. I think the majority of the things we do in life are things that we don't want to do. There are very few things in life that we really want to do, and we spend most of our time doing things we don't want to do. But they have to be done. They're responsibilities. That's all the teacher is saying. Do the things. And notice he says, don't delay when the matter is unpleasant. That's when we drag our feet. Don't delay. Do the work. Accomplish the task. Do what God has asked you to do. That's a responsible Christian. Let's go on now and let's go to chapter 8 and verse 10. A couple of final hits here as uh, he leaves us with some important statements about wisdom. Notice uh, verse 10 with me. I have seen wicked people buried in honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. Hmm. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has seen the most vile, awful people die and be praised at their funeral. (laughs) Here the teacher steps on this and goes, isn't it fascinating that in the very city where a person was committing these crimes, who was going into the temple, who should not have been going in there, he dies and what do all the people do? They honor him. What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. And that's all that he's saying. And I just think it's important to understand even the wicked are remembered as if they only committed good deeds. This too is futile, but understand this is the way the world operates. Don't get upset. And that's what the next verse is going to tell us, is that sometimes justice is delayed. Don't be bent out of shape that they don't receive the eulogy they ought to receive. (laughs) That's what the next verse goes on. Because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly, therefore the heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit crime. You have people look and say, well, uh, they're getting away with breaking the law, so why should I break the law? Here was this person who died, and everybody honored him, even though he was committing all these crimes against the city. And so the point that he's trying to get at is understand justice is not always carried out quickly. That's a great frustration in life. That's a very frustrating thing. We want the wicked to be judged now. We want them to get what's due to them right now. And the only way that for myself that I'm able to deal with that concept of justice waiting is that if I decided that I wanted God to execute his justice immediately upon every disobedient act, I wouldn't be here right now because God would have to already execute it upon me. We cannot forget that justice is delayed. God is long-suffering. God is waiting for people to repent, to demand that God act now against all acts of wickedness and unrighteousness. God would have to start with me. And all of us don't want that. You don't want us to have God to start with you. I don't want God starting with me. Yet we want God to start with everybody else out there. So understand, justice is delayed. Don't be thrown by that. That doesn't mean there's not a God. That doesn't mean there's no justice. Justice will come. God will reign supreme. Give it time. 
and that will take place. Concluding point is in verse 12. After speaking about all this futility and all this frustration, it still does come back to God. Verse 12, chapter 8, Although the sinner commits crime, commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before Him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. Uh, even in the face of all the futility that he is describing, even already pointing out that even being righteous doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get to live a long life. And being wicked doesn't mean your life necessarily will be shortened. He does point out, even in the face of all that, it's still better to live your life God-fearing. You will still have a better life if you live your life fearing God. Even in the face of all the nonsense, even in the face of the futility and frustration, he still says it is still better to fear God. And I think that's useful. After all those observations, somewhat depressing observations about the way life is, understand, it's still better to serve God. You still will find a better life. And he's going to tell us some of the reasons why. He pointed it out before. I intentionally kind of skipped this so I could come back and draw it in right here. Back in chapter 5, verse 19, there's a phrase that I, I blew past that I want to come back to. God has given, chapter 5, verse 19, God has also given riches and wealth to every man. He has, also, he has allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and enjoy in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. The phrase that I skipped by was that God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. I think the point that he's making is that when you live a God-fearing life and you understand the points that this teacher is trying to get across to us of wisdom, of this is the way life is, don't think the grass is greener on the other side, don't think that the affair is going to bring you lasting satisfaction, don't think the accumulation of wealth is all you need to be happy. When you begin to understand these points, you will live an even-keeled life. Never too high, never too low. When the good times come, you're able to appreciate the good times, but understand it won't always be this way. There will be challenges and difficulties ahead, but when you're in the pits of trouble and suffering, you can be even keeled and not be thrown into depression, but understand it won't always be that way. Things will get better. Circumstances will change. And that's one of the critical things we learn from Ecclesiastes 3 about time and we, you know, everybody, you know, time for war, time for peace, and everybody kind of goes through all that, but you miss the whole point often is things change. That's the point. Things will change. You think life is always going to be this way? No, it's going to change. Circumstances will change. Difficulties will change. Good times will come. Bad times will come. And so I think that's really the key of what he's trying to describe to us is understand with a God-fearing life, you are able to be more even keeled through the roller coaster. Because everybody's going to go through the roller coaster. The wicked, the righteous, everybody's on the roller coaster. We're all going to have highs and lows. The thing about putting your trust in God is you realize even in the bad, it's going to come back, it'll be all right, God's still with me. Even in the good times, understand, all right, enjoy it as a blessing of God. I'll appreciate it, accept it. But no, it may not always be that way. 
It keeps you even keeled. And I think that's the idea of that phrase that this is the gift of God and being able to understand that we enjoy riches, we enjoy wealth, we take our reward, we enjoy our labor, enjoy all that there is in life to offer, appreciate what there is in life. Because when you do and you understand that it's the gift of God, you can be even keeled. And thus, that's God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. He can sail through life's difficulties and appreciate the good times. And so the point is, enjoy life in any circumstance. Whatever comes, appreciate it, understand it, know what's going to change, and use these strong words of wisdom to give you strength when those challenging times come. And that's what I think is so interesting about the points that he's made, about submitting to uh, the king, a, a reminder, hey, this is the way life is. We have responsibilities. Don't be blind to that. Understand that's what life is about. Understand the fantasy world of the seductress. Don't buy in. Don't fall into the trap. It's all a lie. Don't go for that. Understand that the righteous sometimes die before the wicked. It's not fair. It's not right. Justice will come. Justice is often delayed. But God will take care of it. It keeps us even keeled through life's challenges. Pull your songbooks out. We're going to sing an invitation song to you this morning. We invite you to be God-fearing, to come to the Lord this very morning, that you will decide it is the wisdom of God and is the wisdom for your life that you serve God. That's what He wants you to do, and this is the explanation that He's giving. God knows the circumstances of life. He knows that there are things that are crooked. In fact, the teacher even said, who can straighten the things that God has made crooked? We understand that world's this way. Evil is around us. We have suffering. We have challenges. That doesn't change the fact that God reigns, that God still lives. He's expecting us to serve Him regardless of the circumstances that come along. And we will serve Him with all of our heart. And then we receive the reward. Friends, the reward is not now. There is no reward now. The reward is when we see God face to face. Endure the difficulties. Ride the roller coaster of life. Remain even keeled through those times and know that in the end, the reward comes. If you want that reward, it is time for you to realize that you need to change your life. Turn away from a life of sin. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. The water is ready. You can do that this morning. Please come forward while we stand and while we sing.